This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at The Ascent Leader, who want to help you get into the living room with leaders and coaches and mentors to help you. Maybe you've just taken the baton and you're stepping into senior leadership, or you just want to get better at the art and craft of communication. Go to theascentleader.org and join us in a cohort. We do a number of these each year, and I promise you, it will help you be not just a better leader or preacher, but a better disciple and human. Uh, the second uh, sponsor is Preaching Today, who just is doing amazing work to help inspire you continuously uh, so that when you speak and preach and communicate, you have something to say. And they've been big advocates of the Craft and Character podcast, and you're going to hear more in the season and months to come, but I'm really, really grateful for them. CDF Capital, they've been with us since the jump, and um, they want to help you. Um, so if you have financial questions with your church, your building, um, reach out to them. They would love, love, love to serve you. And then lastly, Food for the Hungry. And Food for the Hungry has been supporting the cohorts. Um, they've been supporting Craft and Character. And they are doing amazing work around the world. And we're actually going to partner. Um, they, they got behind The Thing Beneath the Thing, um, the book that I released in August. And um, we're going to do do a little uh, four-city tour in the fall and potentially more cities in 2022. But um, we're going to start off in Chicagoland on November 4th, and then we're going to go to Indianapolis on November 5th, and then we're going to go to Phoenix on November 18th and close it out for the fall run at Costa Mesa, California on November 19th. Uh, you can learn more at stevecarter.org, but um, it's just going to be an amazing night. we got Forest City Worship joining us. Andy Colber is going to be with us for a couple dates. Um, she's She's been a guest on the podcast. Haley Morgan's going to be with us for a couple dates. So um, it's going to be brand new content, but it's an opportunity for us to, to partner with Food for the Hungry. Um, and I, I would love, love, love if you're in the area to join us. But today... Today's going to be a different kind of conversation. I usually uh, will interview a, a, a pastor, a preacher, you know, we'll, we'll listen to their teach, we'll get a sense of their sound. But uh, today I'm actually going to interview someone who produces podcasts. Um, and I'm sure it's a podcast that you all are listening to. It's the podcast that I'm referring to is The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And I, I have been blown away. Um, by this podcast. And I reached out to Mike Cosper, who oversees all the podcast network for Christianity today. Uh, and I just said, hey, man, I'd, I'd love to interview you. I'd love to hear what you're learning. I'd love to know what surprised you. Um, I'm not looking for, for drama. I'm just looking for, you started this thing. Like what, it, what, what has it like taught you when it comes to charisma versus character? What, what, what have you, what's been hard for you to shake after an interview or a conversation or a deep dive into the story? What, what are some of the learnings that uh, emerging 
voices and pastors and leaders need to know. And so um, I'm excited because what he shares is profound, it's practical, it's powerful. And I think this will greatly, greatly bless you. So with that, here I and Mike Cosper dive in to a conversation about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Well, I'm so excited to talk with Mike Cosper. Um, I have been riveted for um, the last, I mean, few months just listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Um, this podcast, I, obviously, y- you've, you've all probably been listening to it. Um, it's the production alone um, is fantastic. Um, but the story, um, the content, the the sadness of it all, um, the the way that I feel like Mike brings um, this story to the forefront, it's forced me to like ask some questions of myself, some questions of my own personal experience at um, a few places that I served at. Uh, but I just I just wanted to talk with him. I wanted to hear what he's learned, what surprised him. And so, Mike, thanks for joining us on the Craft and Character Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be asked. Yeah, well, let's start with this. Like, how did this whole idea come to be? I mean, you're you're in Louisville. Like, did you did you have this idea? Like, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna create the greatest Christian podcast docu. Like, I mean, it's just production wise, music. I mean, all like, how how did this come to be? Hmm. Um, gosh, that's a that's a long that's a that's a long answer to a to a question. Um. Well, the short, to try to make it as short as possible, like, I grew up in a family, like, my dad loved public radio. So, like, Saturdays in my house, it was like, we woke up, Car Talk was on in the morning, This American Life was on in the afternoon, and Garrison Keillor and a Prairie Home Companion was on at night. Um, So, I've just always loved audio, got into music, was, you know, was it been in a recording studio since I was, you know, 18, 19 years old, and so 20-something years now, and... um, you know, I, I was in ministry for 15 years, and at the end of that 15-year season, I felt like God was calling me to try to figure out, like, how can I help Christians think about faith and culture in different ways, and how can we think about different forms of media that that might connect with Christians who don't read blogs, like aren't devouring, you know, a book a day or whatever the case <laughs> may be, you know? Um, and, and so, at, you know, 2015, podcasting was still just you know, was still, it was big already, but it was still kind of at the beginning edge of where we thought things could go. And um, so anyway, so 2016, started doing, launched launched a few podcasts, spent a few years um, uh, working with some nonprofits and churches, helping them develop podcasts as well. And all the while, I had different stories in my mind that I wanted to tell. And from moment one, this was one of them. Um, both because it had some personal connection to me. I knew some of the people at the church um, and and loved them and, and saw what they went through. And also because, you know, it's a story that's happening over and over again at churches across the country. Yeah, I mean, the the moment I, I, I've always been curious about is, you know, in kind of the backstory of the, the play Hamilton, you know, Lin-Manuel is on vacation. He reads this book. He writes a song on vacation. President Obama invites him, and he he performs a, a song about a founding father. But Hamilton and, and everyone kind of stands up, and they're like, and he's like, "This is a play. 
Like he knew there was, was there a moment where you were like, this isn't just a story. Um, This has to be told in Mm -hmm. podcast form. Like, was it a soundbite? Was it, was it, was there a moment for you that you were like, Mm. I I saw it. I see where this thing could be or where it can go. I'll tell you, it wasn't quite like that. Um, I think I knew we could tell the story because I, so much of the audio was out there, right? Like, um, because what makes Mark such an interesting character to look at is more than I think any other person who, who sort of mirrors some of the, the flaws and traits, um, he kind of said it all from the pulpit. <laughs> you know, it was kind of all right out there in the world. Um, so I, I knew that. And then the question for me was, um, are, you know, are we going to be able to you know, get people who will actually talk to us and, and tell us their stories? There were quite a few, you know, there were quite a few folks who have been telling their Mars Hill story for a, a number of years. Um, but it's often been done in blogs and social media and various places. Um, there was a lot of suspicion about media. There was a lot of suspicion about Christian media. Uh, so it really came down to like who, you know, who's going to talk to me. And there were kind of two moments where I really came to feel like uh, uh, this is going to work. One was I had a conversation with Wendy Alsip and... Um, uh, you know, we talked about her story, and at the end of the conversation, she said something remarkable to me. She said, "Listen, if you're going to tell this story, make sure that people hear from people who love Mark." Um, and and that, like, I think maybe that was somewhere in the back of my mind, but I, I couldn't have put in words to it the way she put words to it perfectly, which was, "This was a church. These are people who loved each other. This, these were people who loved Mark. That's the heartbreak of the story." Is, is the love, the community, the relationships at the core of it. Um, so that was something that locked in place for me early on and I think has, has, we've attempted to let drive the show. And then, uh, and then I would say the second thing, and, and, and maybe for their sake I won't name names, um, but there were some folks who'd, who'd never spoken on the record before about any of this stuff that have been around for forever. And when they gave me a yes, it was like, okay, I think we can, I think we'll, I think we can tell the real story because they were there. Like, um, and yeah. And so that's when it started to kind of click, man. Where, when did you find the King Kaleidoscope song, Sticks and Stones? Cause that, the sound of that piano now, I'm like, I can feel like all the sound bites, uh, start just playing in my mind, but it's like, and then you, you go through the verses and you're like, mm-hmm. this is unbelievable. Yeah, um, it, it was in the spring. You know, we were looking at different music choices for the for the uh, for the series, and um, you know, it's all it, that's a that's always a hard decision, right? Like, do you do you use um, you know instrumental music? Do you use? I love using songs to lyrics when you can in podcasts. It's something I did with you know other shows I've produced, and because um, they can be so tone setting. And yeah, I didn't know the song. I I knew the band. I knew their connection to the church and everything. And then, man, like. I heard the the lyrics and I was like, oh, this is it. This is it. And and the first time I heard it too, I heard those pauses and and saw what we could do. Like, oh, with the, I can see how this can all fit. And um, so, yeah, it was, but I feel bad. I feel like maybe this, the band is going to like hate me for, <laughs> <laughs> for the fact that people hear Mark Driscoll screaming. Oh, yeah. song now. I, I feel terrible about that. Oh, man. Well, so from the beginning, you know, you, you set this, this podcast up and, and I feel like uh, you start really asking the question about charisma over character. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I, I think I've been in settings where I've seen that. I've, I've been in back rooms where you just, you, um, you see it. You see that this person has all the charisma in the world. Um, and you just have that, that lingering feeling like, um, are they who, who we think they are? You know, there's that, uh, this great Dennis Green quote when he was the Arizona Cardinals coach. And uh, he was basically asked about the Chicago Bears. And he's like, they are who we thought they were. You know, and it's just like, I think in some ways, like um, there's been this great revealing that's been taking place. Why, why do you feel that people are so captivated to charisma, to celebrity mm-hmm. over actual character? Hmm. I, I think there's, I mean, I think there's many, many reasons. Um, I think one of the most significant is that they, maybe they've never, and it, it sounds harsher than I mean it to sound, but maybe they've never seen the real thing, right? Wow. Um, think about how as a society, as a, and as a struct, like as a church, as a society, how little intergenerational mixing we have. Like when does a 24 year old sit down and have a conversation with a 70-year-old who's seen things, you know, um, who's suffered uh, and, and been through the tragic moments in life. Um, and, and I think there's some, there's some moments in this, you know, story where people, you know, like, like Nate Burke's story from uh, episode nine, like when a pastor loved him and served him and, and showed care and concern for him as a person and not as a means to an end, um, that was a wake up for him to go like, oh, something's very wrong with the world that I'm in the, in the midst of. Um, it's that classic thing, like the, you know, the Secret Service doesn't, ca- you know, study counterfeit bills. They study the real thing um, because if you understand the real thing, you'll notice the counterfeits much more quickly. Um, so I think I think that's a part of it. I think the other part of it is we as you know church members, and I include myself in this, we have to ask ourselves, what am I here for when I walk in the door on a Sunday morning? Like, what am I, what, what am I actually here for? And, um, you know, I think we've, we've, I'm a big believer in kind of spiritual formation language, right? And so the practices that we do shape us into who we are. And if our practices uh, as a church are all about what's taking place on a platform on Sunday morning um, and the, you know, the way that it's, you know, whether it's, whether it's the production itself or whether it's the, you know, the personality of the individual or the gifts of the music or all of that. Um, you do that week in, week out, you know, let's be honest, for most people, 40-ish weeks a year. You know? <laughs> um, you're, you're, you're being formed by that for a certain set of expectations. Um, and so I think we need to be honest, honestly examining, like, what, what am I here for? And, you know, is it, is it the gospel and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the fellowship of the saints and, um, you know, the things the church does as a body together, um, or is it something else? And then the something else can be, can lead us all kinds of places. Cause I think charismatic leaders do lead us in different places. Right. Um, but the, uh, but the, the charisma in a sense is the gateway drug to something else that is, uh, uh, like a vision of the good life. And, and for Mark, it was like, we're going to be strong. We're going to take over the city. Later on, we're going to take over the world. It was this, this very sort of, uh, you know, over-realized masculine, you know, conquering New Jerusalem kind of vision of, of life. 
when the church, when he failed and when the church crumbled, um, that vision of the good life failed, you know, was exposed. And that's why so many people, I think, lost their faith because what they had been told, you know, what the, what their expectations had been shaped around proved to be a veneer. So it's so amazing. You know, and again, early on too, you, you kind of talk about that congregation's responsibility, you know, and I, and I've been thinking a lot about this with pastors. Um, it's kind of a weird spot where, you know, um, I remember working with one pastor, a book came out, he didn't mention it at all. Cause he was like, I don't, but then people started to read that book and other people started to read that book. And, you know, people were getting like almost harassed about this book at a, at a water cooler. And the congregation felt like, Hey, we had no idea that you were putting this out into the world. So like at some point I'm like, man, maybe the, the more pastoral thing would have been like talking about it beforehand. But at the same time you talk about it and you can make it about you. There's this real weird dance. How, and you kind of pose that question and any thoughts on for the pastors listening going, how do you help people really discern why they are here showing up on a, on a Sunday and how do they not, how do they control the urge that we see in the Hebrew scriptures to look for a King? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's why, it's why pastors need pastors, right? We need, we need people around us who, um, who can tell, you know, who can tell us the truth about ourselves. Right. Yeah. Um, I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard uh, around this stuff was uh, when somebody said, hey, if you, if, if you want to grow through seasons of conflict and struggle in your church, um, you need to take some time talking to people who work with you, ask them how they experience you, and believe them. Believe what they're telling you is true. Um, because what, what I see a lot, and I think what leaders are really tempted to do, um, you know, there's... there's we say this early in the podcast, like there, it takes a certain audacity to plan a church. Well, it takes a certain audacity to be, to be a leader of any kind in, in some ways. And so you have to have a certain kind of confidence to just show up and do the job. But that oftentimes puts you in a place where you, like, you know, no other way to put it, you just assume you're the smartest guy in the room all the time, um, including about yourself. And so, you know, a leader comes to you and says, hey, like, this thing you did, like it was frustrating. I, I had these plans. You ripped the, you know, the rug out from under me. Um, and, you know, it's very easy for a leader in that position to go, well, I have the big picture and you don't, and this is why, whatever. And so, you know, I can justify, 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 as opposed to what this person is saying, which is like, look at, look at what, you know, look at how much time you wasted of my life. Like, look at how much investment you wasted. Look at how much this belittled me as a person, like my dignity, my like my, my time doesn't matter compared to the, you know, the rest of this. And I use that as an example because that's a very common example that, you know, people talk about in, in difficult church systems. Um, and so I think if, if you're in that lead position, the more you can kind of say to yourself, like, I've got to believe what people are telling me about myself, like particularly my critics, particularly the people who are, um, who are angry with me. And that can be hard because you're going to go through seasons where you get criticism that's not fair. Um, but I think the, you know, the default is defensiveness. Maybe the default should be the other way around. And then we rely on community and leaders and elders and other people around us to go like, help us shape that and frame that and say, here are the things we think you can respond to. You know, 
through repentance and growth. Um, and let them be the ones who show up and say, what, what's happening to you is unfair. Like, we, we've got your back. Like, you're, you know, uh, you're in good shape. So, um, yeah, I think the, I, I don't think the default is that direction, though. I think the default is always to push back. Yeah, totally. When, you know, especially when you're talking about multi-million dollar, you know, institutions, organizations, self-preservation, brand protection, all of that stuff kicks in for the, for the institution, but also for the, for the lead person, you know? And, um, I, I'm, I'm curious because the way that you guys kind of jump cut through the, the storytelling, you have a moment where you're talking to a former employee, um, or, or someone who was let go because I have, you know, heresy. Um, and you're, and these are like raw conversations. What was it like to hear such in-depth vulnerability, pain, and sadness at the hands of the church? Mm. Like, um, and, I, and I know in your own story, you, you, you've, you've got a little bit of uh, experience. You kind of tease that out a little bit. But like, what, 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 was, what was that like? Hmm. Man, um, yeah, no one's asked me that question. Um, yeah, I mean, that's been a huge, on a personal level, I mean, that's been a massive, maybe the most surprising part of this journey. Um, because I knew, like, I mean, I knew some of the stories I, I, going in. I, I, I would often know the stories going in because people would say, oh, you should talk to so-and-so because X, Y, Z happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, not to get too, (laughs) not to get too weird about it, but there, but there's an element of it that just feels like sacred time, right? Yeah. Yeah. They would be willing to be vulnerable with their stories with me, knowing that I'm going to take that story and retell it, you know, to others. Um, that's a trust that, man, that means the world to me. And, and I want to, I want to steward it well. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's also just been sad and heartbreaking and, and frustrating and, um, you know, sleepless at times and, um, you know, it's surprising. You know, you, you get a phone call from somebody. I, one of my favorite sort of memories in all of this was I, I got a phone call from somebody on a Saturday, like 1230 in the afternoon, and they were like, hey, you mentioned this thing in the podcast. This was somebody who hadn't gone on the record yet or told anything yet. Um, got your number from so-and-so. I heard the podcast and you mentioned this one thing. If you want to know a little more about it, I can tell you. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. I'd love to hear this. Three and a half hours later, we hung up the phone. You oh know? my goodness. And, um, um, and so that kind of stuff happens a lot. And I think, I think it's part of what, um, part of what, what makes the story again, like one of the elements that makes it so tragic is for most of these people, there was just no closure. Um, their church disappeared, their pastor moved away. Um, you know, the churches kind of reemerged in different forms, but, um, and, and some of those churches have done well and, and served well and, and been, you know, had good pastors and all of that. I, I don't, I don't mean this to sound belittling of them, but it was just a very different experience. You know, it was a very different church. It was a very different sense of identity. And even if you stayed and even if, you know, you stayed with good leadership and a good experience there, a whole lot of people, a whole lot of your friends didn't. A whole lot of your friends went away. Um, and, and you know you're just surrounded by people who are in deep, deep pain. So, Man, I, I just, there, there are a couple of stories 
you know, um, and uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name who traveled, who who got sick, and he was just super loyal and yeah, just Nate like, Burke. Nate Burke, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and and when Nate just has this like almost like this discernment epiphany of, oh, like I loved this guy, mm-hmm. I loved this idea more than I think he loved me and loved other like, and just like what I imagine for so many people who have walked this where there isn't closure that they don't know if their discernment leveled up or was absolutely leveled. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this sense of this church, and I, and I, and I do think you do a great job at this telling the stories of why people loved it so much and the good that was happening in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's, but I think that's the hardest part is you can see something. And even at the, the Willow story, you know, there were so many people like, it's 90% good. Why do we have to deal with this? 85% good. Why? And you would hear that. Um, why do you think good people in the organization stay silent? Hmm. Um. Whew. Well, we all have layers of motivation that are complicated, right? Yeah. Um, so, so one thing I'll say, like, when, when I ask people why they stayed, um, which I think was an easier question for most of them to answer, was the, the answer was because they felt like they were in the position, they could, they could continue to do good and shepherd the people that were around them by staying in the position they were in. They felt... You know, they felt like they were pastors. They felt like, um, in a sense, like the you know they felt the call, the burden of their call as pastors to care for people. So they stayed where they were. Plus, especially post, you know, certainly post '07, um, even more so post 2012, they were powerless. I mean, there was no recourse yeah. for any of them. And you you create this interesting, you know, there's an interesting ecosystem where. Um, you know, your pastors are deeply invested in this sense of mission. The messaging is, look what God's doing, look what God's doing, look what God's doing. Their own hearts are troubled about what they're seeing up. They're encouraged by what they're seeing down. And then you complicate it by the fact that a lot of these pastors were like well underpaid in very expensive places to live. And so it's not like they can, you know, quit their jobs and, you know, have a buffer for three or four months to figure out what happens next. If word even got out, especially at the end, and this is something we get into in the final couple of episodes, if word got out that you were even considering going somewhere else, they'd fire you, no severance, fire you with cause, you know, and that was it. You were just out. Um, and and some of those stories are just unbelievable what they did to people who'd served for decade plus, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you stay because of fear, you stay because of, you know, shepherding uh, um, opportunities and, and wanting to care for people. And then, you know, we're sinners. Like, sometimes you stay because you're self-interested, because it's good for you. Totally. Um, there's a, you know, Mark's a rocket ship, and you're, you're getting to ride the coattails of that. And, um, you know, a lot of people in the church and outside of the church did for a long time. Yep. Um, a lot of people outside the church knew what was going on, um, shared platforms with him and stuff, and didn't, didn't say a whole lot um, until the very, very end. So. Yeah, yeah. As uh, I do think it's really fascinating because 
you know, sometimes in certain cultures, those who speak up get punished or get exiled. Those who don't can rise to power. And now they're around that table and they're, they're eating with a king or queen and they, they are just experiencing the benefits. It's like you said, that rocket ship. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's just so fascinating where you're like, I mean, some of the names that have, were like inside that inner circle. I mean, even just listening to this, this last episode and, and I didn't know about Boca Raton and this, this church planner, this legend. And you know, hearing like Rick McKinley talk about him and other pastors, you're like, man, here was an older guy that, that he could have listened to, mm-hmm. you know, like an older, wiser guy. Um, but it's, it's an interesting spot, like where it's, it's, it gets harder and harder the higher you get to listen to outside voices and coaches mm-hmm. and pastors. Um, is it, do you think it's like a, uh, I don't have time to slow down because the mission's so big. I, I know that there's something here. Um, I can manage it. Like what, what, what's the, what's the reason? And I'm mm-hmm. thinking about a lot of younger pastors right now. Who I think some of them are scared out of their mind, like in their own sense going, crap, I don't want to be this guy. Like, I don't want to be this thing. I don't want to be a part of this kind of, but like, I think it's all something we have to, to wrestle with, yeah. but what, what, what is it? What is that for that you sense? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a couple dynamics. I think, I think one of the things again with with the Driscoll story, and we we tried to get at this with with David Nicholas's connections, um, being a, a perfect example of it. Um, a lot of times, like older leaders meet somebody who's young, talented, charismatic like that, and think to themselves, like, I can help. I can help get them where they need to go, um, and so they're in it with you know. Uh, you know, they're in it with trust. They're in it with a sense of like, this is a real relationship. This is a give and take. Like we're, we're in it together. Um, and, but that's a vulnerable position where somebody who wants to take advantage of you can and sometimes will. Um, and I think, I think unfortunately David experienced that. I think, um, on the flip side of it, the, the temptation is, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about C.S. Lewis's essay, The Inner Ring. And so the idea is that, like, wherever you stand, you know, if you're a, uh, you know, uh, I, I was talking to somebody about the other day and described it like this. It's like, if you're, if you're an athlete, but you're not on the football team, you want to make it on the football team. And once you're on the team, like, you want to make it on the, the starting team, right? Like, and then once you make it on the starting team in high school, like, you want to get recruited to college. And, and if you're good enough for that, you know, the inner ring is, you know, division one, and then it's starter, and then it's NFL, and then it's, you know, there's always some place deep, no matter how, what you achieve, there's always something else. It's the same thing with the corporate world, right? Um, and there's that like legendary, you know, probably not true story about uh, Rockefeller where somebody asked him, you know, at the height of his wealth and everything, like, hey, when, when is enough going to be enough? Like, when are you going to have enough money to feel like, you know, you're, you're good? And he answered, you know, it's just a little bit more, right? Yep. Um, I think... I think when you're a leader and you're on the rise in a world like contemporary evangelicalism, um, you know, when you're, you start on a certain ring and you see that next ring, which is like, well, if I can get my church planted or, you know, if I can get to a 500 or whatever it is, um, you, you'll almost, that temptation is always there to look for the next ring. And that can happen with some of these relationships. So, 
Mark wanted a church planning network. David Nicholas was like that next ring. And he got in there, but he was already looking, he was already looking past that when David was thinking this was, this was a long-term connection. This was an investment. Um, and, and you just see that over and over again, I think in Mark's story that he, he sort of gets into a ring and then pivots to the next one and the next one and the next one. Um, and I think that part of the tragedy of it too is he was in a very lonely place for his last five, seven years at Mars Hill, if not more. Um, uh, because you do that long enough I and mean, there's just nobody around you anymore. That's right. That's right. Wow. Um, Colin Powell, uh, he was talking once and he said, you know, I always like to be around younger leaders. I want to have an open door policy. I just don't want younger leaders walking in and looking past me and beginning to measure the curtains um, because they want my office, you know, and just the sense of like that, that motivation, that propensity of, I just got to get to this ring. And if I can get, a, if, if these three people could see me and if these, these five people could follow me on Instagram, I can go speak at this person's like that, that, that is a motivation wheel that, um, and I think for a lot of threes who are pastors, a lot of eights who are pastors, that word, what is enough? What is enough? And, and, and when that you're always looking past the next to the next inner, inner ring, you you miss out on what God's actually doing in your midst, right? In the here and now, um, you know, some people have talked in, you know, um, and they, and I think part of it, what's so great is I, again, I think how you have, um, organized, arranged are telling these stories. I actually even like the fact that it's, uh, there's some weeks where I think the podcast episode's going to drop and you're like, Hey, we got nothing. There's we're, we're chasing stuff down. Like give us another week. Like things are coming in real time or here's a bonus episode. I, I'm, I'm curious though, like for many of, for many of us, like I think we grew up in the church and we never thought we could actually talk about this stuff. And if we, if we, if we called something out, um, we, we actually felt like, we're doing the wrong thing. We're, 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 I think you've, I feel like you've threaded this needle. You know, I've, I've seen some people write like, oh, are we just celebrating failure porn, blah, 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 or, da, you know, whatever. I, I don't see it that way. I really, I, I mean this, but you've got to, you've had to probably have some sense of guardrails personally to say, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. This is how we like for us with integrity can tell this story. Are there any of those that are like, been codified or practically that, or is it just like an intuitive, like feeling this, this just feels like a reach or not helpful to the overarching arc of the story? Yeah. I mean, some of it's just like, for one thing, like some of it's kind of like journalistic standards, right? Yeah. Um, so if we're going to, you know, if we're going to say something happened, um, we have to make like darn sure we know what happened. We have to have multiple people who can kind of verify like, yeah, I knew it, you know, he told me about it at the time or I was there or whatever. And the challenge with the challenge with Mars Hill's story is there's a lot of stuff online um, that, that gets really dark. I mean, if you start reading like some of the survivor blog stuff and all of that, um, it can get, it gets dark about some of the things that happened inside the church. Um, But most of those are posted fairly anonymously and the folks who, um, you know, as we've tracked down various folks, we've either had trouble connecting to some of them or finding out if the, you know, who would have known what was happening when or whatever, or in some cases, 
they get connected to people and they say, you know, I'm just not ready to have my name attached to any of that kind of thing yet or to verify, which I totally understand. Um, I think there are choices you make at certain times where you go, okay, we have this story, this quote, is it, is it helpful? Is it distracting to just have another kind of, you know, because Mark said, I mean, you could just do the sermons and you could go one thing that's like, oh, that's cringy after another that would fill an entire podcast. You know, he preached for 18 years there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 14 of them are online now. You're always kind of trying to make the, it's like you want to have like as clear a story that's like as clear and verifiable as you can get. Um, and then you have to look at it and go, how does this, helped, you know, how does this serve the church in one sense, right? Like, how do we tell a story that that isn't just another, like, sort of look behind the curtain of something ugly happening at the church? I think we've established that there are ugly things happening behind the curtain at the church. Right. If we're going to tell another one of those details, because those are often hurtful to other people, they often involved other people's wounds. If we're going to tell another one of those stories, we've got to figure out, like, what's the value of it? Like, how does it help? Um, how does it move the narrative forward? Um, or how does it serve the church well to do so? So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, difficult, it's a difficult process. I don't know if we've done it perfectly. I, I'm sure we haven't done it perfectly. Um, but it's something we struggle with regularly and, and talk about all the time. Yeah, well, I'll just say, I think, it's, I, I think you guys, uh, it is a hard space to walk through. And I've been really, really just grateful for the stories that you've been able to get, the ways that you've been able to tell it. Um, and, and I think the, the places that you've chosen to linger, the questions that you have asked, I think it's been, been great. Okay. A few more questions. A couple of them will be rapid fire. How many hours do you have in this? Like listening to sermons, talking with, like, I'm just, I'm sitting here going 14 years that are online add in conferences at, I mean, all these interviews, do you have any a rough guesstimate just from like research? I I would hate to put a number to how many hours <laughs> the number of hours I've spent. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's funny because we were you know so our church planted that I was part of Sojourn in Louisville, Kentucky. We planted in the year two thousand um, in two thousand. I believe it was two thousand four. We got recruited by Darren Patrick um, into Acts twenty nine. Um, so we were part of Acts 29 from 04 to about mid-2010. Um, and Acts 29 was just was going some different directions. Things were getting kind of, you know, kind of uncomfortable for us. We wanted to, to do something that church planning that looked a little more like, you know, some other models. And, um, and so we left. And um, all that to say, like, we lived in, prox- you know, I lived in proximity to this stuff. So part of the research was just, you know, I remember when it happened. I mean, I was there. Like, I was at some of these, you know, some of those early events in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm super, I don't, I'm not just trying to kiss my boss's, you know, backside or whatever, but I'm, I'm super grateful for the fact that they gave me as much time as they did to do this. Um, cause we've, you know, it's really taken not 40 hours a week for a year and a half, but it's taken a year and a half and then, you know, 70, 80 hours a week for four or five months. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> to, to do it. And um, it's been an you know, incredible experience. And um, again, at the end of the day, hopefully it, it serves the church well. So, yeah. In the rise and fall, like, who's the, who's the person that you go, man, 
I wish I could just wave a, a magic wand and make this per- like this person just um, what they had to go through. I just I for some apparent reason and every story matters obviously but for some apparent reason it just connected to you that you were like ah oh, this one just this one hit different i wish mm-hmm. i could, uh it felt it felt i wish i could just make it all better right here and now yeah i mean i think the story that's the most like um devastating in a lot of ways is paul petrie what paul yeah. petrie experienced um, cause he had young kids, you know, um, and he, you know, they, he was cut off in such a way. I mean, the degree to which his relationships were just completely by fiat of the church's leaders cut off. You may not talk to him. Um, he is an unbeliever. You must treat him so until he repents and comes back. Um, you know, just devastating for it wounds that'll be there for the rest of his life. And I think the moment that, that broke my heart the most was when I was interviewing him and it's in the podcast. And he says, you know, in spite of all that, you know, we still look at, at, you know, those years, which would have been like 2001 to 2007 as some of the very best years of our lives. Um, and, you know, and that just, that just shows you, it shows you how honest Paul is because he's not interested in, you know, flowering something up or being bitter or whatever. Yeah. It's like, that was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. I can't believe I got to be a part of it. And then, man, they just destroyed our, our community, just destroyed it. Um, so that's, that's one that really hurts. But, um, but then there are others. I mean, we'll tell, I don't know when this airs, but we'll tell Jesse Bryan's story of his exit uh, in an upcoming episode. And, you know, here's a guy who showed enormous heart and loyalty and, you know, a decade of service and his, you know, the, the dishonor he was shown on the way out. It's just incredible, uh, kind of mind blowing. And, but there's story after story after that, especially at the end. I mean, uh, when Nate Burke says that line, you know, we're all replaceable. Yeah. Boy, boy, that was Ooh. true. Who? Oh man. Um, what, do, what do you hope for? If like, you're, I mean, this is a, a podcast for pastors. Mm-hmm. And you've just walked through, you know, arguably one of the top three, four most impactful um, implosions in our day. Um, you're speaking to pastors. What, what, do you, what would you say to them? What do you want them to know? What do you want them to be? Who are you willing to follow from, mm-hmm. in regards to a pastor? What is Mike Cosper looking for in a pastor? <laughs> um, you know, that... When I think when I think hear that question, the answer that comes to mind to me is uh, we need to remember our death, right? Mm-hmm. Like like we will we will die one day. It could happen, you know, in a car wreck tomorrow. It could happen in forty years. You know, um, we don't know. But the nature of contemporary evangelical ministry is to say build your ministry around yourself and your personality and your presence and all of this. Um, and, and doing that in, like, the reason why I think the Mars Hill story is so worth telling is because it's, it's such an outsized example of what happens when you do that badly. Because the church literally went away. Lots of churches will have a pastor fail and 30%, 40% of their people leave or, you know, plus or minus or whatever. Um, some churches will have a pastor fail 
and experience very little loss because um, the, the, the community just can remain intact in spite of it or whatever. But, um, but to me, you know, the, the, the Mars Hill story just shows you in such a clear way that if the ministry is really built around one person, utterly dependent on this one personality, then a car accident destroys lots and, and really ruins some lives and wastes money and all these resources that have been invested into this thing, um, you know, just, just kind of, just kind of crumble. Um, so remember our death, like what matters? What are we giving people that matters? What are we tying to people that matters? Um, ultimately, like, I think the pastors, when I, when I say remember their death, like remember the death of their, their congregations too. What do we want them thinking about at bedsides? What do we want them praying and singing at gravesides? Um, when, when life sort of comes to its peak and it's, you know, whether it's suffering or war or conflict or whatever, like the crisis moments of our lives, like a, a well-loved humorous celebrity is of no help in that moment. Right. That's right. Um, we need Jesus. We need the cross. Yep. We need the hope of the resurrection. Um, so that would be that would be one aspect. The other aspect of it too, and this this gets at one of the criticisms the podcast has gotten is like, well, where's the hope in this story? Right? Like, you're telling a really dark story. It's it's dark. It's depressing. It's this, that, and the other. And my encouragement to pastors who are feeling that kind of vibe in all of this is like, good, right? Like, like good because. Um, Job needed friends to sit in the ashes with him and just understand the pain for a while. Um, and our tendency is to want to show up and give answers and say, this is why this happened, and this is why this, and this is why that. Um, and I think a whole lot of people who were deeply wounded in Seattle um, really needed a chance for some people to just sit with them and go, hey, your story mattered, and I'm hoping for that. Last thing I would just say is for churches— I, you know, it's, I, I consider the podcast for, for just ordinary Christians too, and my hope is that it awakens some of these same questions for them. What are we here for when we show up on a yeah. Sunday morning? What are we here for? Well, I mean, I, I think every preaching class should this should be mandatory listening because mm. you don't think about all of the collateral damage mm. and to hear the stories, hear the pain in the voice, to hear like and just to have to sit with that. And mm -hmm. just go, gosh, like, um, what am I building? What yeah. am I going to choose to build up? You know, and, and, and again, like the hardest part, and so, some people don't seem to understand this is like, you know, banks play a part in this. And so they have key man loans and key man mm -hmm. clauses. So, mm -hmm. the, so, the, so to get a $20 million loan, the bank is looking, who's the personality that's, that this thing's built around? You know, yeah. so there's all, the, the whole system at times can be can perpetuate this kind of I'm bigger than life. I'm more important. I've got to hold this thing together. I, I and if that's not checked, man, that's it's it can do just profound damage, profound yeah. harm. So, um, yeah. dude, thank you. Thanks for yeah. what you're doing. Where where can people find you? And obviously, like kind of like your your role. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll add one last takeaway because I I forgot to mention it. I think the other thing is for older leaders, a consistent sign in this podcast is you got to be willing to stick your neck out and say no to a young, ambitious leader when you see red flags. There were some who did behind the scenes, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. There were some who did, and they were ignored. Um, there were some who sounded the red, you know, who, who waved red flags. 
Some of them did it in a, you know, John MacArthur did it in a public way. There were complicating factors to that. There were barbs back and forth. Some of it was helpful, some of it wasn't. But there were other leaders who did so kind of behind the scenes and, and you know, were, were, again, were kind of ignored. So I think older leaders need to be brave to say no to partnering and platforming younger leaders when they see problems. Um, uh, I'm at ChristianityToday.com. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm the director of the podcast network there, or I'm director of podcasts there. We're in the process of developing some new stuff and we'll have new, we'll have a lot more in 2022. And, um, but I, I host another podcast called Cultivated, which is a faith and work slash faith and culture podcast interviews with lots of different people. Um, and then, uh, you know, t- uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't, Twitter, I, I, don't, I don't tweet as much these days. It, it's, a different kind of, it's a different place over there now. So I, I mostly just tweet my complaints about the Colts this year. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, hey, thanks again for uh, the time and really, really excited. David Nichols, I know that was a bonus episode. What episode mm-hmm. is that total? Is that we had 12? Well, there will be 12 total ep- Well, there'll be 12 episodes of the main story. So there's two episodes to go. Two more to go. Gosh. Yeah. Man, all right. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Definitely. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to the Crafting Character Podcast. And seriously, if you are looking for cohorts, man, I'd love for you to come to our living room and just chop it up with us. I mean, these year-long cohorts are amazing. Go to theascentleader.org. Hey, if you really enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend, share it online. We'll post it. You can follow us at, at, on, on Instagram. Um, we, we would love, love, love any support that you can give um, because we just want to help. We want to help people get better at the craft of communication, but ensuring that their character always leads the way. I hope you have a blessed, blessed week. And friends, may we be people of character. We might have charisma, We might have a gift to preach and to teach and to lead, but may first and foremost, our character and our dependency on Christ lead the way. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. Peace.